ஜனம் நித்தியம் அனந்தரூபம் பக்தானுகம்பாதிரிகிரம் வை ஈஷாவதாரம் பரமேஷமிடியம் தங்கராமகிருஷ்ணம் சிரசானமாம ஜனனிம் சாரதாம் தேவிம் ராமகிருஷ்ணம் ஜகத்குரும் பாதபத்மேத்தயோஸ்ருவா பிரணமாமி முகூருமுகு நமஸ்ரீயதிராய விவேகானந்தசூரை சச்சிதுசுகஸ்வாமினே தாபாரிணே So now we will continue. We'll continue with the text uh, of the remaining portion of the lecture, Freedom, delivered by Swami Vivekananda. It's the seventh chapter. It will be followed by one more chapter before we conclude for the time being, the discussion on Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga. So let us continue with the text from where we just ended what is the duty after all it is really the impulsion of the flesh of our attachment and when an attachment has become established we call it duty for instance in countries where there is no marriage there is no duty between husband and wife when marriage comes husband and wife live together on account of attachment and that kind of living together becomes settled after generations and when it becomes so settled it becomes a duty it is so to say a short of chronic disease when it is acute we call it disease when it is chronic we call it nature so we will as we will continue with the discussion we will find that actually swami vivekananda here is not criticizing marriage that yes there are so many things which becomes our duty because of our obsession we cannot deny that fact that today's necessity becomes tomorrow's obsession all all our so called likings in this life is nothing but obsession the duty or the today's necessity has got converted into obsession as we have discussed again and again that how it happens that for instance that 
a small child is not drinking milk, the mother adds a little sugar, it starts drinking. And we say that sweetness, the test for sweetness is our instinct. But how it has happened? The nature scientist will say that when our ancestors were not food producers, they were the food gatherers. Every day they used to go to the forest to collect roots, herbs, fruits as for our sustenance, for food. That's what uh, was the only means of sustenance. And in the process of gathering the roots, fruits, herbs, they discovered that uh, the sweet roots, the sweet herbs, the sweet fruits, whatever you find sweet in nature, they never kill us. And now you may say, what about the the flesh eating, the non-vegetarian? Well, as per the process of evolution, we were vegetarians. We developed the habit of eating meat much later, most probably after the discovery of fire. Because we as a human being can never take raw flesh. We have to cook it. And you will find that as per our habits are concerned, it proves that we are originally vegetarians. How? You will find all the vegetarian animals drink water, the like cows, and all the so-called the non-vegetarians, those who are the flesh eaters, the carnivores, they lick water, they never drink. They will go to the some reservoir and with the tongue they will lick. So now you just compare that, what's our way of drinking water? Do we lick or do we drink? Apart from that, our canine teeth shows, our molar teeth shows, the structure of our teeth shows that originally we are the vegetarians. It's much later after the discovery of the fire, our food habit changes, but the main context is that all the roots, herbs, fruits, which we used to collect from nature as our food, we were in search of sweet fruits, sweet herbs, sweet roots, because our ancestors discovered that what that in nature, the other tastes are doubtful. If anything is sour, if anything is bitter, they may nourish us, but they may kill us. They may be food, they may be something toxic. We are not sure about it. <clears throat> but if anything is sweet in nature, you can be 100% sure it is going to nourish us, it is not going to kill us. So there was no taste for sweetness. Out of necessity, when they were going on collecting sweet fruits, sweet herb for their fruits, for their food, for their sustenance. But what happens? What you do repeatedly? They, as if, create a path in your mind. Just you just take the long, the park where you walk, just go for your walk. If there is no road, if you are following a particular uh, path for walking down the, this, the, or the, the park, you follow a particular route. Not only you, all others follow a particular route. You will find the grass has dried up and as a path has been created. 
something similar happens with our mind. It's the, in neurology, they call it neuroplasticity. That once you start traversing through the mind again and again, something like a path is created in the mind. And once the path is created, now a, what happens? We forget the necessity just to traverse that path becomes our obsession. All the things, just the way the sweetness, you just take the sweetness, that now it has become such a big obsession that all the, the, the there's all the food, those who are processors, the food market, the food market, the food processors, they all know that we have that instinct for the likeness for sweetness. And you check everywhere you will find sugar has been invariably added. Nowadays have become, become cautious, but why is this addition of sugar? Why this Coke and other things have this tremendous business? Because the necessity has got converted into obsession. And it has become such an obsession that all our lifestyle disease can be related to it. Obesity, high blood pressure, your diabetes, at last you will find is linked to this obsession. Actually, it was a necessity. Once it became obsession, now we go for overindulgence and that results in disease. The same thing with all things. Here, there's, there's Swamiji is taking an example. This Ramakrishna in the gospel is again and again, this Kamini Kanchan, lust and gold, lust and gold are Maya, the cause of ignorance. So again, you will find that the two things which he is speaking of we cannot have our life without that. The life is sustained by lust, Kamini. Kanchan, by wealth, we sustain ourselves. And Thakur is saying, Guru Maharaj is saying that those two are the product of ignorance. But again, the same thing. Yes, they are necessity. If we knew them as necessity, it was okay. Yes, it sustains life. It helps us to Pro, this continue with the life and sustain life. But what has happened? You open the newspaper, you open any news channel, 99% of the 99, 100% of the crime at last boils down to this too, nothing else. What has happened? Again, the necessity has got converted into obsession. All the crime is the overindulgence of these two things, that it has gone beyond the necessity and obsession. And now you will understand what Swamiji is saying here. So now we have to have a sense of duty to restrict us from this obsession so that we can bind ourselves in such a way that we don't disintegrate. The necessity when it gets converted into obsession, now I have to say that, yes, these things can be resorted in this particular way, not beyond that. That the society will say is a crime, that the society will say is illegal. Why? Because we have developed a tendency to stop that. Now with a sense of duty, we have to bind ourselves. So now you will understand that what Swami is saying, that it's really... The impulsion, what's duty after all, is the impulsion of the flesh, of our attachment. And when an attachment has become established, we call it duty, for instance, in countries where there is no marriage, there is no duty between the husband and the wife, 
when marriage comes husband and wife live together on account of attachment and that kind of living together becomes settled after generations and when it becomes so subtle it becomes a duty it is so to say a short of chronic disease when it is acute we call it disease when it is chronic we call it nature swabhava this nature the word in sanskrit is swabhava swami vivekananda is actually referring to the idea of swabhava as has been enunciated by bhagwan sri krishna in the bhagavad gita in the last chapter in the 18th chapter the 41st shloka of the 18th chapter speaks of swabhava what's bhagwan saying there brahmana kshatriya vishang shudranang cha parantap karmani prabhivaktani swabhava prabhavair gunai brahmana kshatriya Vishang. Vishang means the Vaishya. Shudranang. Shudra. These are the four castes. How these four castes has been differentiated? As per the karma, we all, when the society develops, we all develop an inclination to particular type of action to sustain ourselves. Those who are scholarly, the intelligent that the so called those who are intelligent intelligent stank they have a particular way of life that is their swabhava just to study research so they are the brahmana if you just forget about uh, that uh, idea that by my birth i have a caste you forget about that it's as per my inclination if i divide the caste it is there in every society you have the intelligent tank the scholars the researchers kshatriya those who are in the government taking care of the administration protecting the country there's a there's a huge section of the society involved in that that is their nature they also take part in the social integrity by just uh, resorting to that type of action it's all division of labor vaishya the entire business the economy of the nation is with the business class the vaishya the shudra the menial jobs now we say the slavery has been abolished where are the shudras it's still there all the service uh, the duties which we are doing you go to the hotel you go to even the hospital what to speak even the council that who are regularly cleaning your garbage bins not only that keeping the roads clean keeping the city clean the parks clean so these are this service these are the work of the shudra any society you go as per our inclinations nature we will find this type of division of labor is there so that is the swabhava as per the swabhava that various type of works we have chosen and we take part in our social integrity as per our swabhava so that's what has been spoken of by bhagwan in the bhagavad gita so again we will find that it's not that just with the sense that i am contributing to the society we do all those work i like it 
That's why I do. That's the first thing that a so-called an academician like to be in his studies and research. That's why he does it. From that, the society gets the benefit. The Kshatriya also likes it. First, that's the first thing. The way he's taking care of administration, he's very passionate about it. A politician is very, very passionate about the politics, about the administration. That's his liking. As a byproduct, of course, the society is getting benefited. Vaishya, Shudra, unless I like it, I cannot do it. So that's why that's Bhagavan is saying, as per our liking, which we have developed most probably by the repeated actions. You may say that by birth, how it happens? Yes. In my previous birth, whatever tendencies I have, that gravitates me to a family where all those tendencies can, be, can flourish easily. That's why to a certain extent, birth also gets related to all these forecasts. Just the way when, if you find that you are good in a particular subject, you're gravitated in the university level to choose your course, which actually helps you to further study that subject itself, isn't it? You're gravitated. That university was there. It's not that your tendencies have created that university. You were just taken there. Similarly, to a certain extent, the birth comes into picture, though that's a guna. Guna karma vivhagash, it is as per the guna and the karma, but the birth, how it comes into picture, that as per my tendency, I will be born in a family where my tendencies will be nourished. It happens. You will find so many child prodigy that those who are very intelligent have been born in a family whose father and mothers are professor. One who is very good in singing from very childhood has been born in a family where all are professional singers. It's all visible. You may say, as they were born, they got those tendencies. No. <coughs> in a music class, there will be so many children. All don't grow in the same way. So it is, both the things are there. That my tendency, as well as the circumstances, both comes together. And then you develop those qualities very easily. So that's the thing so, uh, here Bhagavan is saying. The duties of the Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, the Vaishyas and the Shudras are distributed according to their qualities in accordance with the gunas. Guna, that's as per the swabhava, that's been indicated. But why it is a disease? That whatever, uh, what we call disease, any obsession in the present la or, or language of psychology, you go to the doctor, <coughs> most probably, you find that you cannot control. So many simple things are there that washing the hand is a hygienic habit. But somehow you have developed the habit of washing the hand throughout the day. And you go to the doctor, you say that I'm so fed up, I'm getting skin disease. I was actually, I was supposed to maintain my hygiene. And now I wash my hand so much that there are so many fungal infections, so other skin uh, problems I have developed. And the doctor on the corner of his prescription will write in a very small letters, O-C-D, obsessive compulsive disorder. So that's why now you will understand that what Swamiji is saying, that it is a disease. It's all our so-called, all these attachments, we are all OCD patients in a, in a way or other. 
obsessive obsess this this if there was no obsession if there was no compulsion we would have never felt in life that like a bee i came to suck the honey and my wings got stuck in the honey that's what we all feel we all thought of enjoying the life and a time comes when i find the enjoyments are sucking me off for that from that lot of lifestyle diseases are developing my psychological problems are developing but i cannot get rid of them so if it's not a disease then disease then what is disease disease so that is the thing swami is saying it is a disease so when attachment becomes chronic we baptize it with the high sounding name of duty and now he will give a very say the say some, some something wonderful as he was in the west observing the way the western civilizations have developed he's saying something which you can easily relate we strew flowers upon it trumpets sound for it sacred texts are said over it yes in marriage it happens not only in marriage even the so called nationalism based on religion it's actually pure tribalism when in the olden days our predecessors were as tribes spread out throughout the world they wanted to sustain themselves as the tribe as a tribe they were unified and they had the tribal gods this their identity was their tribal god and now they always try to prove that their tribal god is the only god the other gods are just mere fake gods now how can it be proven throughout the history will find come let us fight the one who wins his god is the supreme god the others god are just inferior so there also you will find actually with the tribalism the religion also get really was linked the next words if when i read you will find then you can relate that how this chauvinistic nationalism developed based on the same obsession the obsession with our tribalism the word chauvinistic nationalism it came from a french soldier nicolas chauvin who always used to say that for the welfare of your nation whatever you do is justified means if you are going to conquer some other nation making its making it it's your colony to exploit it is justified as long as it does good to your nation so that is the chauvinistic nationalism that is based on actually pure tribalism but we made it something sanctity i am the one who is extremely patriot i'm doing for my country this see it is actually coming from that pure obsession of the tribalism which has not taken the form of nationalism has taken the form of patriotism and then let let us now read the swamiji's word and then the whole world fights and men earnestly rob each other for these duties sake that's the duty now he is a very patriot person this chauvinistic nationalism leading to colonialism so now swamiji will say that then is all the sense of duty bad no yes certain sense of duty is actually that pure tribalism pure barbarism 
taking the sense of duty, you've put flower on it, but it's not all bad. Duty is good to the extent that it checks brutality. So here again, most probably just before he spoke of wedding, marriage. Yes, here you will find that the duty is good. Where the marriage comes, it also has developed because of a particular obsession. We have to bring the custom of marriage in the society. But yes, but there it is good. Why? Because it is checking the this so-called the barbarism, the brutality. To the lowest kinds of men who cannot have any other ideal, it is of some good. If you just think that the more the society becomes open, that nowadays we are experiencing, there's a family breakage, the children's life is at wreck. No one knows who will take care of them. From the very birth itself, the sense of insecurity grows. When they grow up, they never can have that idea that we should be faithful to each other because that's what they're seeing in the society. And the government is spending money, funds. Why? Because the people cannot stay together. And the government takes their the role there to take uh, the, the, give you the protection, your own security. That's the situation we find in the entire society. What has happened? If just the family could have been maintained. This We could have avoided so much of ills and evils in the society. And even at present, we have started realizing in the, in the name of civilization, progress, we have actually deteriorated how much we have started realizing. I will just give an instance. In the last decade, in Greece, in Italy, there was Tremendous riot. The cause of riot was because of the economic deterioration of those countries. Uh, the government had to take some austere measures. So there won't be any increments for the time being in your job. The salaries were to a certain extent reduced and there won't be an increment because the government had no money. The Germany, who is a very disciplined country, they found that in the name of European Union, it is they who is contributing a lot. And they started saying a very interesting thing. We cannot spend money for the people spending their time lazily in the sea beach. Why should I spend the money for them? So that happened with Greece, with Italy and other countries. And there was an economic recession and the government had to take austere measures and there was a huge riot. And then there are a wonderful article came. I forgot the name of the magazine. Now they're comparing when the, when the state tries to become a welfare state where the government is trying to have control over the day-to-day -day dealings of the human being in contrast to the family-centric society. What's the difference? There specifically, they're giving an example that from Uganda, at the time of Amin, Idi Amin, it was declared, Idi Amin declared that the, uh, he was a mad person. He declared that within 48 hours, all the people who are not from Ugandan origin, origin, those who have not that properly from, by birth, they are not from Uganda, Uganda. They have to leave the country in 48 hours. 
And there was a huge immense uh, turmoil where people were or fleeing the country. And the, it, it, a huge substantial population was the Indian population, many of the Gujaratis, the Patels. They never, they, they, they didn't know where to go, where for generations they were there. And in UK, they declared, okay, we will give you refuge. Uh, they were, they immediately by flight was taken to UK and they were refugees, they had nothing. And it just two decades in UK, the maximum number of multimillionaires were from that society. And now they're comparing, see that now, because in Greece, in Italy, because of economic recession, we, the government had to take some measures, but the people have de developed a sense of that right for increment for other things. They're demanding. And their mother was the one who was taking care of that family. They knew that they were in some very distressed situation. Mother also applied the same austere measures, food, living, everything that austere measure had to be imposed on the family. But when the family is the unit, very nicely, it was accepted. That love was the thing behind all that austere measure, it was accepted. And they easily out, overgrew that situation. They came out from that situation just two decades, not only came out, maximum number of multimillionaires were from that section. So what's that? Now you will understand that duty do of have a sense that to a great extent it can help us when it is checking that brutality. When there's no family, no marriage, just see the society, it can just break in, just it can just wreck the society. We have examples, thousands of examples in every society. Whenever we find the government takes the role of the family, it is bound to happen. It's just a patchwork. It can never be the real solution. So do the duty do have to certain extent, a great role. Duty is good to the extent that it checks brutality to the lowest kinds of men who cannot have any other ideal. It is of some good. Now, what Swamiji is saying here is very important that the word dharma has two meaning. When we speak of dharma, one is dharayate iti dharma, that which holds us, that which integrates us is dharma. See, in that sense, those who cannot have higher ideals, that's the sense by which we can maintain our integrity. Do this, don't do that. We have discussed it so many times that it is something which is a basic necessity of a human being. The other creatures are quite well governed by their instincts. But for the humans, the reason, the rationality took the place of the instinct. You will understand that how the sense of duty helps the so-called beings who are yet to evolve, the human beings. Just you go to the forest, you will find there's a wonderful forest rule that how the dharma works, dharaiti dharma. But if the lion catches a prey, you will find the moment it is satiated, it will never look back at its prey. It will leave it and go deep into the forest. When the lion is feeding on its prey, already the scavengers, the hyenas, the jackals, the fox, they are hiding, they are waiting. They know very well the lion will 
just leave the prey the moment it is satiated. It goes, they come. They also start having their share from the prey of the lion. Now, when they're having, the vulture is sitting on the tree. It is also, it also knows, I also have my share. When these scavengers has gone, they come, they have their share. By instinct, you find wonderfully the an ecological balance is maintained. And we as the human, we go to the market and find that yes, some seasonal fruit is very cheap. Avocados, $1 you get, and you buy a huge quantity and you cannot eat it in one day. And now you have to think of how to make sweet with it and other things with it, keep it in the fridge and all those things. Why? That is a sense of this, what you say that uh, just uh, storing, holding that develops. Keep it in the, I have wonder, that wonderful, uh, that uh, gadget in the, my house called the refrigerator. I keep it that whatever I bought, I bought excess. Once I am satiated, I'm not going to just uh, leave it for the others. It is there in the fridge. I will feed on it. And so I have to have some dictums. Don't hold. It is so important. The entire human society at present, all the problem is because of the holding. 99% of the wealth is with the 1% population. And that's why you find that, that Occupy movement in the Wall Street, we also have, we have witnessed it in the last decade. That this, that what was the main uh, um, ideology behind that movement? That 99% of the population has 1% one percent of the population has the ninety-nine percent of the wealth. Occupy means let us occupy that. It's our wealth. The idea it was that there was some really some very substantial idea behind it. So how how it has happened again that holding. The government policies are such. Sometimes we find that the rich becomes more rich. So now they have to make the laws in such a way that the one who has the tendency to hold cannot hold. The wealth is equally distributed. The one who is economically backward, let them also get the share. So what happened? The government is taking the role of vidhis and nishedas. They will have to make the law in such a way. And that is good. That yes, those laws bind the society. Those sense of duty bind the society. I don't have any higher idea. Well, for them, this is of course good. But if you want to be spiritual, by doing the same thing, I can become spiritual. I can be a karma yogi. For my, that's action, for me, the action may be same, but there should be an attitudinal correction. It's not from the sense of duty, but with the idea, different idea, that I am just the instrument of the divine. The same actions, the what a people, the peoples are doing, being bounded by the law, I am also doing the same thing, but it can become karma yoga if there is an attitudinal correction. So that Swamiji will now speak of in the next portion. But those who want to be karma yogis must throw this idea of duty overboard. There is no duty for you and me. Whatever you have to give to the world, do give by all means, but not as a duty. So when he says there is no sense of duty, that doesn't mean he's saying to transgress. 
It is not transgressing the Vidhis and Nishedhas. It is transcending. To give an example, in a residential school, I was there for 12 years in the hostel, this very punctual routine from the morning till the evening. Why that time-based routine has been made for the students? Because most of the students don't have the inclination towards studies. Unless we bind them by some routine, they won't study at all. So there's at a study hours, they have to go and for two hours they have to sit and study. And there is someone supervising them. After that, most probably they have to go have their food. They have some time for the recreation. Everything is bound by time. We have done it because most of the students have no inclination for the studies. We have to make them, force them through those sense of duty, through this routine. But yes, there are a few students who have developed a test for study, interest for study. You will find they're also following the routine. But actually, that routine which they're following is not forced. They have developed that, uh, this test for study. It is out of that test they are studying. It appears they're also like the other boys, but actually he is not forced to follow that routine. He has transcended, though he's following the routine, but he has transcended that so-called routine because he has developed love for that. So this is not transgression, but transcendence. You transcend. It's not being forced by the sense of duty. Your attitude has changed. You have developed the love for it. So here also, once you develop that idea that the love, the compassion, I have in my heart, it has to be blossomed. For the Lord has implanted that for taking care of his creation. I am just an instrument through which the Lord is working to take care of his creation. I do. There my duty is over. And I'm not bothered about whether I am acknowledged for what I have done or I am not acknowledged. So that becomes Karma Yoga. So it is the same thing. What you are doing from a higher course, from the love from the sense of compassion, from the sense of empathy. And that also there is no sense of getting anything in return. You know, the Lord is just working through me. I am doing my part and there it ends. It appears that you are also like the, the common rut, all the common people, all the like any other people, because you're just doing the same thing. But there's a Mark difference in the attitude. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that Shangshari Shajbe, Shangshari Hobena, Shadhu Hobe, Shadhu Shajbena. We do the opposite. That pretend to be a Sangsari, don't become a Sangsari. And be a holy man, don't pretend to be a holy man. Just we do the opposite. We always pretend to be a holy man and we are extremely engrossed. Extremely engrossed. Even uh, sometimes we may say, I have nothing to do with my family. At last we find we just, that Swamiji in this lecture only have told, we become so attached to the body, which vitamin tablet I need, which, uh, what type of food, what's the diet. Constantly throughout the day, you are busy with that. It's a grossest form of attachment. That you have what? Now that outwardly I wanted to be a very, like a very holy person, but actually I will find throughout the day I'm busy with myself. I actually become more selfish. Sometimes in the name of holiness, we become more selfish. At least the world 
who says I have nothing to do with holiness, I'm a worldly person, at least you will find there is a sense of renunciation. That even that so-called worldly person has love for his kith and kin, is doing something for them. But the so-called holy person is extremely selfish. He's not bothered about anything. And at last, he's just bothered about his bodily existence. He may just show outwardly that he's taking the name of God and all, but extremely attached to his own body. So it has nothing to do with what you are doing physically. It has to do with your attitude. It has to do with your real passion. What you really feel from the bottom of the heart. So someone may appear to be totally engaged in sansara and the family, but most probably has developed that sense of detachment. And some maybe have left the hearth and home, but most probably is terribly attached. It has nothing to do with your physical means you have adopted. It has to do more with your attitude, with your mind. So to the lowest kinds of men who have, who cannot have any other ideal, it is of some good, that sense of duty. But those who want to be karma yogis must <clears throat> throw, must throw this idea of duty overboard. There is no duty for you and me. Whatever you have to give to the world, do give by all means, but not as a duty. Do not take any thought of that. Be not compelled. Why should you be compelled? Everything that you do under compulsion goes, goes to build up attachment. Why should you have any duty? Resign everything unto God. In this tremendous fiery furnace, where the fire of duty scorches everybody, drink this cup of nectar and be happy. We are simply working out His will and have nothing to do with rewards and punishments. The same thing when Bhagavan in the Gita told of Swabhava, in just five slokas later in Bhagavad Gita in the 18th chapter, what he says? That if as per my Swabhava, I am a Kshatriya, I am a Brahman, or I may be a Vaishya, or I may be a Shudra, how can I get rid of them? There's no need to get rid of them. You do what you are doing. And what's the way out, Bhagavan? How nicely in the 46th is one of the most important slokas of the Bhagavad Gita. One of the most important slokas. What says, Yata pravrittir bhutanam yena sarvamidam tatam swa karmana tam abhyarcha siddhing vindati manava. So you don't have to, as, I, as per my swabhava, I have a particular tendency to work. That doesn't mean that I have to leave it. By performing one's natural occupation, one worships the creator from whom all living entities have come into being and by whom the whole universe is pervaded. By such person, you do it in the sense of worship, swakarmana. Not, don't, you have, don't have to leave your work. You go on doing your own work. That's what is meant by the word swakarmana. But you do it with this attitude, a change of attitude. What? Tam abhyarcha. Abhyarcha, abhyarcha means to worship. Do archana, abhi archana. That's from that comes abhyarchana, the word came from abhi archana. That archana by itself is something physical. With flowers, I just go to the altar and offer flowers. That is archana. What is abhyarchana when you art abhi? You are not doing any specific uh, separate rituals for your archana. Your entire life becomes archana. 
with the abhi it in this abhi prefix is used to encompass all your activities in this uh, so that they all become worship your spiritual life no more remains restricted just to the few rituals and some religious practices it encompasses your entire life spirituality cannot be a part time affair if you have to be spiritual it has to be you cannot be a part time spiritual person it has to uh, just encompass your entire life as sri ramakrishna used to say very nicely that our religion the so called religion is just before breakfast in the morning i wake up i have my shower i do my morning ablutions have my shower i wear a fresh set of clothes i have for my worship go to the worship room to my altar offer some incense offer some flowers offer some food do some chanting i feel very uplifted i come change my dress now i have to go for my work for my job i change i get suited booted whatever it may be and sit for your breakfast now i'm a different person totally different person so that is what sri ramakrishna is saying that our religion is just before breakfast that's it's over so that way amader dharma jalojog porjonto in the gospel sri ramakrishna is saying so that in that way we can never be spiritual it has to be a 24 by 7 uh, engagement throughout the day whatever i am doing with the sense always that the lord is the one who is working through me it is he who is the this the operator i am just the machine so the more you can do that you won't have any expectation just the way swami ramakrishnananda used to say when someone told it's almost impossible to do such huge work in one lifetime in all the south in through the throughout the south india so many centers he has established in the first when the ramakrishna movement it was just taking pace tremendous work he has done <clears throat> so when someone told that how come is how is it possible that you have done such huge stupendous work his answer was wonderful does a pen pain ever say i wrote so many books is the one who is holding the pen he is writing that was his answer so the one who is holding he is writing you are just the pain we are just the pain the one who is holding that gives the sense of karma yoga and when you know you are just the pain there is no question of expectation the pain never thinks that all the so called literary awards will be given to me is the one who is holding he is getting the award that's why that famous song of ravindranath is there tomar holo shuru amar holo shara the tagore songs are wonderful this wordings are such sometimes you can take it in a very worldly sense but most probably he has written from a different plane of awareness what it means tomar holo shuru once i have resigned myself to the lord all the worries tensions is his let him think what he is going to do with my life amar holo shara now i am relaxed i just am the instrument whatever way you make me work i do and where it ends i am relaxed rest all all the botherations worries that is for you for you that's the beginning so now it starts for you the moment i surrender it starts for you now for me it's over i have given it to you so that's the idea of abhyarchana and that's the only way you get siddhi that brings the perfection siddhi vindati manava 
the person can easily attain perfection that's the way you need not have to give away your swabhava that is there it has its own limits it has taken us spirally downwards but by changing the attitude the same duty can take me spirally upwards and can liberate me so if you want the reward you must also have the punishment the only way to get out of the punishment is to give up the reward so that's what swami ji is indicating that go beyond that for all my good works yeah, that if the beneficiary acknowledges it i feel rewarded if he doesn't acknowledge i feel i am punished so go beyond that sense the only way of getting out of misery is by giving up the idea of happiness because these two are linked to each other on one side there is happiness on the other there is misery on one side there is life on the other there is death the only way to get beyond death is to give up the love of life life and death are the same thing looked at from different points so the idea of happiness without misery or of life without death is very good for school boys it's very good for the school boys and children but the thinker sees that it is all a contradiction in terms and gives up both seek no praise no reward for anything you do no sooner do we perform a good action then we begin to desire credit for it for it no sooner do we give money to some charity than we want to see our names blazoned in the papers misery must come as a result of such desires the greatest men in the world have passed away unknown the greatest men they are now swami ji will be saying a very interesting thing the buddhas and the christs that we know are but second rate heroes in comparison with the greatest men of whom the world knows nothing hundreds of these unknown heroes have lived in every country working silently <clears throat> silently they live and silently they pass away and in time their thoughts find expression in buddhas or christs and it is these latter that become known to us the highest men do not seek to get any name or fame from their knowledge they leave their ideas to the world they put forth no claims for themselves and establish no schools or systems in their name their whole nature shrinks from such a thing they are the pure sattvikas who can never make any stir but only melt down in love the choice of words in an extemporal lecture that is marvelous the person who is given ex swami vivekananda is giving an extemporal lecture just see the way the words are flowing from his mouth that who can never make a stir but only melt down in love so what a wonderful way as this in all the barricades when you melt down the barricades has all fallen as an ice cream you have a shape once you melt down there is no shape so you have gone beyond that sense of personality you have just pervaded mixed with up all your identity becomes the collective the collect the all the collective uh, identity is your identity so all the ego all the selfishness has fallen that's what is melting down in love i have seen one such yogi here he is speaking of pavhari baba no no one knows he has seen that's i have seen such one yogi who lives in a cave in india 
he is one of the most wonderful men i have ever seen he has so completely lost the sense of his own individuality that we may say that the man in him is completely gone leaving behind only at all comprehending sense leaving behind only the all comprehending sense of the divine if an animal bites one of his arms he is ready to give it his other arm also and say that it is the lord's will everything that comes to him is from the lord he does not show himself to men and yet he is a magazine of love and of true and sweet ideas as pavari baba is speaking here that he was an, an example uh, in the short scope we don't have to now discuss his life but sri ramakrishna went to ghazi ghazipur and was there with pavari baba for few days he witnessed that life that if someone comes to uh, still when the thief is running pavari baba was running after him and the thief was first got scared that most probably he is trying to catch him at last he found that as he couldn't take all the things the remaining things he was carrying to say that most probably these are the things you may need just to give him he was after him so that type of all comprehend that all comprehending sense of that the divine in all beings always he was ready to serve but total ego has fallen off him they may the world may not know them but they are the one who has lived the life and this this it becomes a cumulative effect those ideas to find expression to the so called prophets whom swami ji is saying are the second rate heroes as buddhas and christ it is not that swami ji is saying he will he will give an example that lord buddha himself is saying that before me there were so many buddhas not known that we are the one just the preacher they live the life next in order come the main with more rajas or activity combative natures who take up the ideas of the perfect ones and preach them to the world the highest kind of men silently collect true and noble ideas and others the buddhas and the christ go from place to place preaching them and working for them in the life of gautam buddha we notice him constantly saying that he is the 25th buddha the 24 before him are unknown to history although the buddha known to history must have built upon foundations laid by them everywhere ramanujacharya is saying that he is the one who is just preaching the previous idea shankaracharya is saying the same thing so many have lived the life which those lives are not known they become the one who has a preacher the second rate heroes the highest men are calm silent and unknown they are the men who really know the power of thought they are sure that even if they go into a cave and close the door and simply think five true thoughts and then pass away these five thoughts of theirs will live through eternity and it is going to materialize no one thought the two germany will connect east and west but all the people living there with their families separated were constantly having that thought whenever they saw that wall will it ever break that collective thought was so powerful it did break no one actually in political way ever even thought it is going to happen it did happen through throughout the history you will find when this thought becomes powerful it itself brings a wonderful revolution
So that's why in this society where we, we, we feel powerless, we can just say that prayer is so wonderful, has a wonderful power. Sit down, think for the good of the world, pray for the world, know it for certain. Those thoughts are never lost. These great men know, knew that. They are the men who really know the power of thought. They're sure that even if they go into a cave and close the door and simply think five true thoughts and then pass away, these five thoughts of theirs will live through eternity. Indeed, such thoughts will penetrate through the mountains, cross the oceans and travel through the world. They will enter deep into human hearts and brains and raise up men and women who will give them practical expression in the workings of the human life. These sattvika men are too near the Lord to be active and to fight, to be working, struggling, preaching and doing good. As they say, here on earth to humanity, the active workers, however good, have still a little remnant of ignorance left in them. When our nature has yet some impurities left in it, then alone we can work. It is in the nature of work to be impelled ordinarily by motive and by attachment. In the presence of an ever active providence who notes even the sparrows fall. That's a very interesting thing. Even the small desires in our heart is not left unnoticed by the Lord. He knows everything. As this almost the same expression Sri Ramakrishna used to say, God can hear the ringing of the anklets in an ant's feet. <laughs> That's how Sri Ramakrishna used to say. And in an ant's feet, how poetical. If you just think of an anklet in an ant's feet, that's its ringing. That sound is almost, we can say, is inaudible. The Lord hears the ringing of the anklets of the ant's feet. So here also Swamiji is, Swamiji is saying the same thing. The ever-active providence who notes even the sparrows fall. How can man attach any importance to his own work? It is he who is working through all those intentions. Will it not be a blasphemy to do so when we know that he is taking care of the minutest thing in the world. It is he who is taking care. We and me, you and me are all instruments. It is he who is caring through you and me. We have only to stand in awe and reverence before him saying, thy will be done. That's the only truth. Thy will be done. Of course, we also sometimes say, but the thing which we say, thy will be done in my way. So now thy will be done in thy way only, not in my way. So thy will be done. The highest men cannot work, for in them there is no attachment. Those whose whole soul is gone into the self, those whose desires are confined in the self, who have become ever associated with the self, for them there is no work. Again, Swamiji is referred to Mundaka Upanishad, the Atma Krida, the Atma Rati, uh, this Kriyavan, Esha, Brahma, Vidang, Varishta, the loftiest among those who have the, went to the spiritual realization. They cannot work. They just reside in the self, Atma Krira. They, they are just having the, uh, the, all the attachment with their own self. They're confined, all the desires are confined to the self. They become ever associated with the self. So for them, there is no work. Rest all. Such are the indeed the highest of the mankind, but apart from them, the rest all, Everyone else has to work. In so working, we should never think that we can help on even the least thing in this universe. We cannot. We only help ourselves in this gymnasium of the world. That 
it is we are helping ourselves with all our acts with the proper attitude we are gradually growing spiritually the spiritual strength of detachment is growing coming so it is we who are helping ourselves just in the gymnasium we go to build strength so this world is not the pleasure garden as we think it is a gymnasium where we have came to make ourselves strong and that's what swami is saying we only help ourselves in this gymnasium of the world this is the proper attitude of work if we work in this way if we always remember that our present opportunity to work thus is a privilege which has been given to us we shall never be attached to anything millions like you and me think that we are great people in the world but we all die and in 5 minutes the world forgets us is gone it's not waiting for anyone all the so many this uh, the king came the, the spiritual leaders came for none the world has stopped they come they go the life goes on it is the lord who is taking care of his creation but the life of god is infinite who can live a moment breathe a moment if this all powerful one does not will it he is the ever active providence all power is his and within his command through his command the winds blow the sun shines the earth lives and death stalks upon the earth it is again from kathopanishad <coughs> swami is quoting bhayadasya agni tapati the fire burns because of his fear as the lord as if he is standing with a thunderbolt and enter thing enter universe has to follow that command bhayadasya agni tapati bhayat tapati surya the sun is giving its rays because of the lord's command there is no other way bhayat indrascha vayuscha mrityur dhavati panchama each and every being celestial being or all, all the super all the natural powers everything has to work the way they are working because the lord has ordained to be so nothing can be otherwise and that's what in the kathopanishad is saying swamiji is saying it's the all divine pro- pro- providence it is his command so if that is the thing he is concluding here he is all in all he is all and in all he is all in all means he is all and in all we can only worship him give up all fruits of work do good for its own sake then alone will come perfect non attachment the bonds of the heart will thus break and we shall reap perfect freedom this freedom is indeed the goal of karma yoga so with the chapter title was freedom so samiji developed the idea that what's the real freedom is and after saying what the real freedom is this freedom from the sense of attachment this to develop this non attachment that alone speaks of the freedom and this freedom alone is the goal of karma yoga for that alone will take you to the ultimate spiritual realization with this the chapter is concluded so you will find that the swami ji is going to the the essence of karma yoga as a conclusion in the last chapters so one more chapter is remaining so it will be mainly more reading because we had a lot of discussion of course it will be interspersed with little discussions but it will be mainly mainly the uh, it will be the reading of the last chapter interspersed with little discussions which we will cover up in another few classes to conclude for the timing our discussion on karma yoga so thank you all namaskars